I'm experienced in like, we'll do like the Portland to San Francisco overnight drive and be like, well, that was fucked up. And then have like, just like you're in California then. And then all the drives are short. And then you got time to like regroup and get back in some sort of cycle. But this was just like, just crushing, really crushing uh, sleep deprivation. I'm like, I'm waking up and nursing her. So like, that's my, that's my sadness. But <laughs> yeah, just like as soon as your head hits the pillow, then she just wakes up and you're like, fuck, this is going to be my night. Just every two hours I'm getting out of the bed and she won't sleep next to me. So it's kind of just like a nightmare, but it's fine. It's fine. And so we've had six nights and so maybe this is what happens now and she sleeps. So <laughs> Wait, was she a pandemic baby or was she before pandemic? She was born March 22nd, 2020. So it was fucked up. <laughs> In so far as you're comfortable talking about it, what was that experience like? Um, It was really very scary. I mean, she's my first baby. So like, I didn't know what to expect anyway, but I had like all this, all these plans. I had a doula. I was going to try for an unmedicated birth. I was like, really, I was going to try for an unmedicated birth. I never want to say I'm going to like really do it because when you're not, when you're in the throes of it, you might just be like, give me the drugs. But um, I ended up having to induce early because I was 35. So when you're 35 or over, they give you the option to induce at 39 weeks because you're technically a geriatric pregnancy or high risk, yada, yada. So whatever. So, so I was like, you know what, I'm actually going to go for it because I want to get this kid out before the hospital start filling up I did, before the cases start going crazy. So we went in and, and had her. And when I went in, they checked our temperature and asked us if we had been traveling out of the country, but that was it. And nobody was wearing masks. Not like none of the doctors were wearing masks. And uh, yeah, it was really crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that was that maybe a week or two later, everybody probably would have been fully masked, I assume. Oh, yeah. But like, so the fear was there. The fear was very present. Like we weren't allowed out of our hospital room. I wasn't allowed to use the birthing tub, which is like fine because it's kind of like a communal room. So whatever. So I was okay with that. We got in there and we just started Cloroxing everything, me and my husband. Like we were just like, we didn't know if anybody was as careful as we would want them to be. So we just like went nuts with Clorox in the room. And then I gave birth in that room. And as we were leaving, the nurse that helped us bring the baby to the car was like, it's a good thing you guys did this now because we're not going to be allowing birth partners after this. So like- So you would have been solo. Yes. And that would have been really fucking scary because you really, you need your birth partner so much just for like- all the labor stuff, you know, like the nurses can't be with you one-on-one 24 seven. You really need somebody to like help you get up and bring you to the bathroom and like put you in the shower. And like, so I would have, I would have had a really hard time. It would have been really fucking scary. So we were like blessed in that regard that we chose the timing. The timing was right. The induction, but like, yeah, the, all the aftermath was fucking terrifying too. <laughs> cause like, I was like desperate to get breastfeeding going cause I wanted to give her antibodies, give her like all of my natural immunities. And then like, God forbid we get sick. Like, I want to be able to protect her. So I wasn't able to like breastfeed in the beginning. And I was doing all these like virtual lactation consultant things. And I was just like postpartum depression, anxiety, crying all the time, sleeping less than I was a week ago. <laughs> but, um, now everything is like, feels good. We went out for ice cream. We sat outside and had some ice cream with the baby yesterday. And that was kind of like our first thing that we've done with her in a public setting because we've been like so scared, but it was really nice. I guess it's hard to uncouple the effects that it would have had 
and a normal year outside of COVID. You know, I like certainly yeah. like that's something that I've been thinking about quite a bit, having gone through some medical issues during the past year is just how much of this would this would have happened to me otherwise and how much of it was really kind of a compounding of all this happening at such just such a horrible, scary time. Yeah. And then it's like kind of like baby steps into just trying to challenge yourself, you know, by like just doing the little things that feel like normal things, but obviously feel so not normal. But like, yeah, just walking around where there's no people, but without a mask on was terrifying to me because we live like kind of in the country. Doing that was like really difficult. And we were like the last kind of holdouts in our area of like masks outside. Less densely populated than because I think you were in what Bushwick before like for a while. Yeah. Less densely yeah. populated, but also I assume the flip side of that is people are less excited or willing to wear masks. Yeah. It's a uh, it's kind of like half half up here because there's like there's like hippies and a lot of like city people coming and like hiding from uh, all the craziness in the city. And then there's like just some people that are just kind of like, fuck you, don't make me wear a mask. And it's like, okay, but then please don't come near me and my baby. <laughs> it's okay. We're alive. It feels good. It is wild like how soon after you get out of the greater New York City area that all of you start seeing MAGA signs like I'm from California originally. I was, I, I didn't, I never quite understood. And obviously New York is a blue state, but I, I guess I never really quite understood how that worked. That just the second you leave the city, it like kind of turns rednecky pretty quickly. Yeah. Well, it's like that David Cross bit where he's just like, I'm from Albany, New York. I'm from like, <laughs> like all these states that are just like, okay. But there's that same accent that kind of like, there's just like a good old boy contingent that you just didn't realize was there. But yeah, we're like in the thick of it in some ways. And it's like a little scary maybe sometimes, but hopefully fine. Nobody's egged my house. We have some, you know, flags and signs out there of things that we believe strongly in and we haven't gotten egged yet. So maybe things are good. <laughs> Moving outside of the city and having a baby, do these were these two things sort of planned together? No, the moving outside of the city, we did probably like seven years ago, eight years ago, after my third record, I recorded it up here, like right outside of New Paltz, um, which is like a college town. That's where I like vacationed last year for about a week. For the oh, first time. in New Paltz? In New Paltz. Oh, that's great. That's awesome. It's so pretty there. And so we were like right outside in a town called Gardner um, recording at this studio. And I was just like, I fucking love it up here. I just like couldn't get over how much I was just like, I felt like creatively, like I could just kind of like let go. I just like, cause in the city, I just kind of always felt like I was like, my shoulders were just like at my ears. And then I was like, I don't know, it's cliche to be like, I can finally breathe. But like, that's like how people, <laughs> that's what everybody says about being up here. I would just go in Santa Cruz, which is just like in the middle of the woods in California. Mm. And I remember the first time that, that I went back after having lived in New York for a couple of years and realizing that like I hadn't experience silence i hadn't experienced complete darkness and it really just does feel like i don't know if you meditate at all but there's this there's this sort of guided meditation thing that they have you do where you unclench different parts of your body mm. and you didn't realize that like you're you've been walking all day with your jaw clenched and like that's what living in new york city is like yeah yeah totally absolutely yeah, I was always I'm like, and I find that when I'm like driving down there, if like I'm on Long Island, I'm on like the cross island or something, I'm, my jaws instantly clenched. <laughs> I was just there last week, actually, I went to an Islander game, which was like, 
really threw myself into the fucking fire. I've been like the most careful, crazy person that any of my friends know, like any of my family members are just like, really, you're still bleaching your groceries? I'm like, yeah, maybe, I don't know. But it was like, maybe the last opportunity to see the Islanders. And I always would go there with my dad. And I don't know how long my dad's going to be around. So it was just like this thing where it was just like, let's go to the fucking Coliseum. and Let's go see them. And so we did it. But like, it was... It was a lot of driving. I haven't been on Long Island in a while. And I was just, it really brought me right back. I was just like, fuck you, you clown. Like every car I was like, just so pissed at. But yeah, so it definitely, I can definitely feel the shift in being up here. Just like kind of like a, just like a, a relaxed, a bodily relaxation because I had the plan of, it was just like move up here, live in kind of like a giant house with all my bandmates and some friends and just like fuck off and like pay $250 a month in rent. And uh, then things just, I just started getting older while I was up here and it was like Mike and I got engaged and like we got our own apartment. It was the first time we ever lived together alone without roommates. And it was just down the street from the house that we got with our bandmates. But like we like moved out and we like lived in this tiny apartment. And then we were like, let's get married. And then we were like, all right. And then we were like, let's buy a house. It was like, all right, because we got all this money when we got married. Like my aunts and uncles each gave us like a hundred bucks. So I was like, fuck, we got some money now. And then we bought a house. (laughs) And then yeah, a couple years later, I was like, I'm 35, like, or I'm gonna be 35. I think I was 34 when it was happening. But it was like, if we're gonna have a baby, we have to do it like now. And then it was like, all right, let's do it. And so I had a baby. Here I am. (laughs) I don't really make plans. But things have fallen into place in a very lucky way for me. I think everything's made its way and makes sense. It feels good. Specifically with regards to starting a family or just sort of generally in life? Generally in life. I think I'm not a person that has a five-year plan ever kind of I'm always like am I still doing music and then I make another record and it's like I guess I am like (laughs) it's hard to have a five-year plan I mean unless your five-year plan is to at some point stop doing music yeah well that's like every record I feel like is my last record but then I keep making music because it's like what the fuck else am I gonna do this is what I love to do it feels like it's going okay and when it starts to feel like it's really not going okay then I'll be like, okay, I'm not doing this anymore because that sounds like it's not going to be fun. <laughs> Why does everyone feel like you're last? Is it just the the kind of the arduous process of putting a record together? No, just like I just I'll have other songs, you know, on the back burner, but like I just don't. I guess I just don't see. I don't know. It's the same thing with like not having a plan. I don't even have a two year plan really. Like it's now with the baby, it's like okay, in two years she's gonna like maybe be in nursery school and we're gonna have to figure that out like that's like an actual thing she's got a two-year plan yeah she for sure does <laughs> yeah I guess I'll make another record I feel like maybe if I say I'm gonna do it and I have like a big proclamation even just to myself of like what my plan is then if I fuck it fuck it up or if people stop caring then it's kind of a failure so I'm just kind of like kind of just riding the wave and see what happens see how bad it gets <laughs> I guess I ask you because I I feel like there's something deeper because this is something certainly not unique to you. And this is something I've heard from a lot of musicians who've told me that the next album isn't always a guarantee. Now, uh, you know, of course, there's the there's just the fact that you aren't much of a planner, a header type person. But, you know, if, if the experience has generally been good and you generally feel like you've been moving in the right direction, why would you feel like it's not a given that you're going to make another one at some point in the future? I don't know. I think maybe it's because like I'm doing what I love and at any minute I could just not love it anymore. 
You know what I mean? And then, then it's just a slog and like, it's, it's just, it, it will just like make it feel bad. I don't know. But also like, I don't know. I think that I never, I never knew what I wanted to major in in school, like until I was just like, oh, I guess it'll be this. So I feel like maybe a lot of it stems from like, I have a long history of depression. So I don't, I never really think about the future, even though I do now with the baby, like she's my future and I'm just going to like stick around always for her, you know, and like make sure that she has a good life. But like, I don't think I always wanted to stick around for me, you know, in the past. There were times where I was just like, I just didn't see myself as a older person. You know what I mean? When I was 23, I was like, I'm not going to live that long, but 37. So here I am. I'm still here. Staring down middle age. <laughs> yeah, it's scary. It's really scary. I don't know what kind of pants to wear. I'm all I'm all fucked up. This is one of those universal things. Like we're all in a situation right now where it's difficult to figure out going forward and re-entering society what sort of pants we're supposed to wear. Yeah. And now there's articles that like the pants I have are like inappropriate. They're old people pants. But it's like I'm old. So do I keep wearing the old people pants? Or do I try to like trick people into thinking I'm youthful by wearing Jenkos? essentially? I'm not really sure. Are those, is that the new thing? Are those back? I think that it's just a very wide leg. I think, I think that if you wear Jenkos, people wouldn't be like, whoa, that's weird. You know, like people would be like, huh, how stylish. Those are the widest legs. Yes. And UFOs, those are wide too. I've certainly battled depression. And again, something that I dealt with a bit in, in the last year, as I'm sure a lot of people have. I don't quite, haven't quite felt the sense that like I wasn't going to be around or that I wasn't going to make it to, you know, my, my late 30s or 40s. That's not necessarily like a suicidal feeling. It's just kind of a general abstract ennui. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where you just can't imagine it. You don't really, you're not going to force yourself to. Yeah, I mean... I don't, I, I definitely was hospitalized because I didn't want to be alive anymore, but I didn't have any plans because I'm not a planner. I didn't have any plans for how I was going to do it. I was just afraid that like, I so desperately didn't want to be experiencing this reality anymore. But I also like, was a, the fact that I was afraid of those feelings, I think means that I wanted to ultimately continue, you know, like that's kind of like a lot of my music is about that where it's just like, you feel all this intense sadness, or you feel this like crushing numbness, but there's still some spark and like kind of just trying to like, kind of just try to figure out like where that spark comes from and why it's there and kind of like celebrate it that it is there. Okay, cool. I like that. <laughs> How have music and depression been connected in your life not to put too fine a point on it but would you say that you know music has at certain points saved you i definitely started writing when i was experiencing depressions when i was in my like late teens and i would write a lot just prose you know and then i was learning how to play the guitar and that was like kind of how i was like exploring everything and it was definitely a outlet for me and just a way to like try to process everything that was going on and just things that i couldn't put into words i could kind of just express and just feel like i could put everything in order but then later on in life when i started sharing music with people people would tell me that things that i was writing helped them like someone in the uk told me that he never felt comfortable talking about his depression with his father and it was like a, it was a really huge issue for him and so it gave him like the courage because i was so open about depression which didn't even feel like i didn't feel like i was groundbreaking you know talking about depression i feel like all musicians do that but just felt like 
because I was so open with it, he felt the courage to talk to his dad about it. And that changed their relationship completely. And like some people have told me that they were kind of on the edge and it kind of helped pull them back and give them like some spark or some, and some hope. And that to me, I think is the most, that is the way that it saved me the most is how it helped other people. Cause it gives me kind of a reason to keep making and keep living and keep doing. It's a good thing. It's a good thing for me too. Is that a lot of pressure to have somebody come up to you and tell you that you saved their life? No, actually it's just, it's, it's a beautiful thing. I don't feel pressure to like, and then I have, now I have this job that I have to do this for people. Cause like if I helped one person, I didn't even mean to like, you know, that's, that's good enough for me. You're not like a first responder now. No, <laughs> yeah. no, it's, and also like people can come to my earlier shit, you know, that'll always be there. So like I could start writing fucking bullshit songs about nothing and feel like maybe they could just listen to some of the earlier records. <laughs> Writing something really personal, writing it for yourself and keeping it your diary versus having albums out in the world are two distinctly different things. Was it ever difficult to be that open on record? My last record was difficult. The The last one that I put out in 2019, I think it came out in 2019. Yeah, it's called The Big Freeze. There were a couple songs on there that I got very close to being as real as I ever have been. You know, like I've like, I was like saying shit, calling shit out by name. And usually I'm like kind of dancing and flowery and kind of like glossing over things. And, but I was like pretty, pretty direct. And that was scary to me. Um, There's a song on that record called Dermatillomania, which is about a condition that I live with. And, uh, you know, I never really talked to anybody about that. And then I wrote the song. I mean, I talked to like my husband and my therapist, but like I wrote the song and then I was just like, fuck it, it's real, you know, and it made it even that much more real sharing it with people. And then like, I got all of this response from people that are like, I've never heard anybody talk about this before. Like, this is fucking crazy. And I just like, you know, because it's a very solitary thing. And it's like, you know, there's a lot of shame and a lot of those kinds of feelings like involved with it. So people don't really talk about it. And so it was it helps people. And it was really cool. And it really helped me say it out loud, you know, and like, just be like, this is fucking real. And if I put it out there, I'm gonna have to address it. (laughs) So it was kind of like, oh, I'm fucked now. I have to actually like, take care of myself. That sucks. But it's good. (laughs) Just in in terms of if you're actually talking about it, then you have to address it yourself. Yeah. And just like, I don't know, because if you if you don't talk about it, and you just kind of like, it's this little secret shame that you have, then it can just build and live in this little world and like in this little dark place. And you don't really have to just, you know, chip away at it and figure out why you're doing it or, and try to stop doing it, you know, and so like, and I wasn't ready to do that, because it was like a comforting thing for me. It's kind of like a coping thing. And so I was just like, I'm kind of living in this. But it was, it was just a shitty way to live. And so I was ready, I guess to just be like, fuck this shit, let's do it. And so then I put out the record and I was like, here we are. And it's fine. <laughs> Is there something specific about it that really feels shameful? Yeah, because you're kind of like, it's not like, I feel like if you're cutting, there's like all this weird romanticism around cutting. And like, it's not as like embarrassing in a way as like picking at your skin. You know what I mean? Picking at imperfections in your skin or creating imperfections. And like, so it's, 
it's just, it's, it's kind of different. It's like somehow more embarrassing and more taboo cutting in high school. Like kids would like, you know, some kid cut, cut his arm, wrote Kurt Cobain on his arm. And it was like, that guy's cool, man. <laughs> I know I shouldn't laugh, but that's the dumbest shit I've ever heard. It's so fucking dumb. But I was just like, wow, he's fucking cool. But like, you know what I mean? Like, It's like shorthand for I've got emotions. I'm a sensitive guy. Yeah. And like it's like Nirvana guy. Totally. And so like, but like cutting is like dangerous and fucking horrible. But like it's, it is somehow it's easier to talk about it. Just it's like the the culture recognizes it more as a thing. And it's like, it's tied to mental health more in a way than just like this thing that was just like, which is, you know, what I do and what other people do. If they have this, it is self mutilation. It's, you know, it is, it's, it sucks, but it's, you know, and it's not over. And I think a lot of people that have this compulsion, it's not over. It never really is over. It's always something that you're kind of just, it's a daily struggle, but it's good that people feel like they can talk about it if they're ready to, you know, because there's so many people out there that live with it. I read the piece that you wrote about it, which you can be very personal in music and still mask things, right? Because it's poetry. There are ways to be honest without giving up too much, but actually sitting, I mean, it was a pretty lengthy and extremely personal piece. Was that difficult to write? Yeah. Well, it wasn't difficult to write. It was difficult to hand over kind of, but it was, it was a step that I felt like I needed to make for my own journey with it. But yeah, like it kind of just poured out of me because it was like, this is, this is everything I've ever wanted to say. But then it was like, here's the, here it goes on the internet. Cause then you're just open for judgment. That was something that I was afraid of, but it's like, who's going to be a dick about it. And nobody has been because it, it, it was the right time. <laughs> You know, like, I feel like people are starting to be more sensitive and kind, maybe, uh, especially about stuff like that. So I felt like I felt like it was kind of like a safe space. So I was just like, okay, here we go. And nobody was a dick, which is very nice. (laughs) It's not YouTube comment section. Somebody who's going to find that piece is probably has probably on the level. There's a reason why they've taken the steps that that have brought them there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So it was good. It was it was a very positive thing. And I felt like that whole record, I just felt like very open and uh, as as open as I'm willing to get because you said like, yeah, you can you can control the narrative very much with music. You can say as much as you want to say and you can just kind of hide things the way that you want them to be hidden. But I was trying to be as open as I could. It was just trying to be brave. You know, cause I'm, I'm a grown ass woman now. What was it? I mean, what were you, that was just the point in your life that you were at, that you felt like you could be honest in ways that you couldn't before. Yeah. I just felt more myself. And it's funny because like this new record is actually my self-titled record. And so I felt like with this new one, I was even, I pushed it even further. So it's like, Now I'm even so much myself that I'm like, fuck, this record is going to be self-titled. It's my sixth record. Like, what am I doing? But (laughs) I thought, you know, I'm just I'm just trying to push myself with everything that I'm doing. So, like, yeah, if it gets to a place where it's like, all right, I'm pushing too hard, then maybe maybe then I have to pull back and start writing kids music. But right now it feels like I'm I'm in a good place with my writing, which is good. But, yeah, I feel like I think it's just a challenge 
it's a personal challenge and it's just a challenge as a writer to just get as close as you can to being uncomfortable. One of the things in the in the piece that jumped out at me, and you alluded to this before, but I think you say it more directly in the piece, I might never be fully fixed. Is there power in knowing that about yourself? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, like, it definitely, you're giving yourself a break. Like, you don't have to feel like a failure if you have if you fall back a little bit, because you just take it a day at a time, like anything, like any sort of recovery, you know, like, it's okay, you just need to keep working, whatever. <laughs> I grew up in I grew up in Alateen. And, and you know, so like, I'm, I've, I come from a 12 step background. But like, I was I was an Alatot Alateen. But yeah, it definitely works. If you work it, you just have to keep working through whatever you need, you know, like you're, it's always going to be there. But you just you're either looking at it from far away or you're fucking in the shit. But you just need to, like, take each day as it comes, you know, just because you have a little you backslide doesn't mean that you're fucked up forever. My dad was in uh, ACA, which is Adult Children's of Alcoholics, which means that Ah. I'm like another step removed from that. I don't think that I had in that respect a great deal of of personal uh, trauma, but Apparently, going through any kind of program will have an impact in your life. I mean, you feel that 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 was a pretty formative experience for you. Yeah, I mean, my mom was like so into Al-Anon, and like I've I've gone to a couple of adult children's meetings, and like I just cried the whole fucking time. I was just like the newbie that just was like sitting there, like oh, <laughs> like listening to everybody sharing, and like anytime they went, they they were like going around for like everybody to share. I'd just be like pass, <laughs> just like. But you, you were crying for other people. Yeah, but crying also just because I was there, you know what I mean? Like, because it had been so long since I was in a meeting, because I was like, just kind of reluctantly going to meetings as a teenager, like, fuck this, I don't want to be here. Like, it was always when Buffy was on, too, it was always on Thursday nights, and I was like, this fucking sucks, like, (laughs) so like, you know, but I grew up with all the fucking slogans, and they really seep in, because it really is, it's a beautiful thing. I'm not a religious person, so like, I never you know, had like the God part of it. But like, I would just like my higher power was always just like myself or nature or whatever, or, like just like humanity. <laughs> and um, yeah, I don't know. I just, I, I really, I find that it's very helpful, especially like knowing that like, you know, the serenity prayer and everything like, you know, have the courage to change the things you can, but accept the things that you can't change. It really is a freeing thing. You know, if somebody in your life is like harming you, like you can't fix them. You can't, you you can't you can't fix somebody like and and that was really good for me to know like stuff with my dad like I was just like always just trying to like help him and and it was just like wearing me out just trying to help him and and then it was just like my mom was just like you can't you can't fix people like you can love them for who they are but you can't just like pull your hair out every day trying to like help you can do you can just be there so that was like really helpful even though like Sometimes I'm still giving a little bit too much of myself, but you know, what are you going to do? You said you went to the Islanders game. So it sounds like you're on fairly good terms at this point. Yeah, we are. I mean, like just, I I love him a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. And so, and I don't want to lose him. And, and so like the Islanders, like the Coliseum, it's a special fucking thing. And it was going to be like the last possible 
game there. But now they're in the Stanley Cup, so they're going to be playing there again. But like when I found out about this game, I was like, this is the last game of the Coliseum. Like I bought a breast pump that night. I got the tickets, bought a breast pump that night. And I was like, I'm going to have to pump in the parking lot. Like, I don't care. And I pumped in the parking lot while people were like shotgunning beers around me. Like they had been pre-gaming since 10 a.m. I got there at seven and I'm like pumping. I forgot my pump bra. So I was holding the flanges and I was like underneath a receiving blanket, like trying to have people not see my face or my boobs. And like, I just hear people just debauchery all around me. And I was like, oh. You were shotgunning in your own special way. I was, I was. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was really funny. It was really like, oh, here I fucking am. I'm back on Long Island and it has not changed a bit. It was very nice. And Ralph Macchio was at the game, which was very cool. And Mrs. Maisel, marvelous Mrs. Maisel. So I didn't know she was from Long Island. But yeah, so I got to see all the like Long Island craziness and it was really, really nice. But yeah, I don't know. My dad, my dad and I, you know, we've had our problems, but I'm always going to love him so so much so it was nice to be there there is something comforting even if it's like i couldn't wait to get out of my hometown as i'm sure is a fairly universal experience but when you're away for it a while even the things that really annoyed you there's something kind of comforting in going back and and seeing them yeah it's like these are my fucking people regardless of whether or not i want them to be like my people and like i i understand them completely and i think they understand me and it's like nice so long island is like a particularly strange place everybody's like super obnoxious but like i love it <laughs> so yeah it's it's really there's there's something comforting but i don't have a home there anymore because my mom sold my childhood home like right right before i went on the tour for the big freeze and uh so it was just like i don't have like I don't have a home base there. It fucking sucks. Because my dad lives on this houseboat, but it's like, you don't want to sleep there. It's no good. That is the antithesis of a home base, being yeah. on a boat. <laughs> it can float away. <laughs> but yeah, his houseboat is like, he has a coal heater and kerosene. So it's just like fumes. It's everything is like covered in coal dust. It's like, it's not a good place to be. It sounds like kind of a rad life for, for a dad though. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a very strange it's a it's a series of very strange men on all those boats. They're all like divorcees that are just like you know hardened, and they just they just are trying to trying to figure it out. But yeah, his boat um, they used it as a location for a show, some sort of like CSI type show. They used it as a location. So somebody and might it was have been like, murdered on his boat. Well, it was like some crazy old man with a shotgun coming out of it. That was the scene that they shot. But they like cleaned everything. My dad cleaned everything up the day that they came. And they were like pissed off because they liked how like filthy it was. Because he always has like a bunch of toilets. Because he's like boat plumbing is like very difficult to, to navigate. So like he's always trying to replace his toilet. So there's always like a bunch of toilets on on top of the deck of the boat and then inside the boat his girlfriend put a candle on one of the toilets for christmas she like put like a little little, like kitchen rag and the candle on top of the lid is your dad frank reynolds (laughs) kind of (laughs) think like think frank reynolds but with more of like a wolfman kind of vibe like long long beard long gray braid yeah (laughs) little mountain man yeah it seems like your family's got a an interesting or unusual relationship to music in that you're sort of your grandparents were musicians, but your family, it sounds like, wasn't particularly supportive. And your mom actually said, I think this is a quote that that music is too emotional. 
for you to pursue <laughs> yeah. it as a career? <laughs> yeah, too emotional and uh, not a smart career choice. I mean, I can kind of like get on board with the second one. I think like fair enough, right? <laughs> what does the first one mean though? I don't know. I think maybe maybe she didn't think that it was like good for me. Um, she's always like been very like protective of me because like she was the one that brought me to the hospital, you know, and things were like bad. And I think that she's just always been trying to have me have a, uh, more straight and narrow life. I think that she thinks that will be a healthier choice for me, maybe. So maybe music is just like, there's not enough structure, but yeah. I, and you know, sometimes maybe it feels like she's right, but also, <laughs> but like, I don't know. I'm, I'm not like tour tour is always like actually like fairly good for me, for my state of mind, like waking up in the morning. And so the structure of tour is really good. So maybe if I had that like nine to five, like wake up at a certain time, go to bed at a certain time, that might be good for my mental health. But right now I'm just not sleeping at all. So <laughs> tour is structured, but it's kind of structured in, in an unstructured way. It's not like going yeah. into an office every day. Right, right. Which like, sometimes like I have, I have like songs where I like talk about how like that might be like a good life. You know, like I have a song called Out With a Whimper on uh, my fourth record. That's kind of just about like, should I quit? Like, what am I doing? Like, do I want to just like eat breakfast in the morning, you know, and like warm up the car and go to work? And would that be a better life? Like, would that be good? And yeah, I think we're always trying to figure it out. But the structure of tours is unstructured, but it's just structured enough that it, it, it feels pretty good. And like you wake up and then you go to Starbucks and that's great. <laughs> that's my first step. That's my favorite part of the day on tour is like getting coffee and everybody's happy. And then you do the long drive and that's also great. Then you load in and I love load in. I love sound check playing <laughs> my least favorite part. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, like, that's what I always say. And I shouldn't say that because then people are going to be like, why am I going to pay money to come see this girl play? She doesn't even want to be on the stage. But like, you're not cat power. You're not like crying, like with your back turned to the audience. No, no, I, I, I enjoy playing. But like, it's I, I really like the like, I don't know, the camaraderie of like just the everyday activities, you know, and I, I like that better because it's more predictable, I guess. And there aren't people standing there watching you when you're you know, loading in your gear. Loading in gear is like nice and it's cardio and strength at the same time. <laughs> and coffee is always fun. So I don't know. And then playing, I just feel like maybe it's the scrutiny or maybe it's the nerves, but I I enjoy it. I enjoy it. It's fine. <laughs> Come and see me play. <laughs> Do you feel like you've learned anything about that sort of, about that part of your life, having this kind of forced sedentary life for the past year and a half? Um, I definitely, definitely miss, I definitely miss like just being out there in the world. And I think tour is the best way to be out there in the world. Just like experiencing this, just this country. I mean, it's, it's a beautiful country and driving through it is one of my favorite things in the world to do. And I haven't been doing it. And yeah, I've just been stuck in the house and I've been breastfeeding. So I've been, pretty tethered, you know, it's just me and the baby, you know, like at a lot of points of the day. And that is, um, it's different and it's definitely, you know, it, I definitely felt trapped even more isolated than maybe I would have otherwise just because like, I can't go somewhere because I 
can't bring her because <laughs> she can't be inside a building, you know? So like, yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely changed. And, and I, and I want to, I want to get back out there and, but I got to figure out a safe way to do that with the baby. I'm just kind of like, we're, we're going to be close to each other until she's vaccinated, you know, and then I'll feel comfortable having like a grandparent watcher for a couple of days. You know what I mean? So it's going to be, it's going to be a weird year. I'm trying to say this in a way that doesn't sound bad, but um, like in a weird way, I don't know, maybe the, for you personally, maybe the pandemic couldn't have happened at a better time in that, like you were going to be tethered either way. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I know. Everybody says that. And I'm like, yeah, it's true. But in the beginning it felt like not a good time. <laughs> Horrifying. And like, and, and, you know, and like, I, I know that like pe- people often like ha- can have sort of guilt around having kids, especially when it feels like the world is falling apart. And like, mm-hmm. it sure has felt like the world is falling apart at a faster rate than usual yeah. over the past, you know, four or five years. Yeah, no, definitely. And like, it's, it's a, it was a good year to be doing nothing you know like it it was it was a perfect year to just be and and I got to spend so much time with her you know otherwise I we had I had a tour planned for August she was born in March I had a tour planned for August where I was going to go to Norway and it was like I wouldn't have been able to be away from her for that long like that's crazy so I had a great excuse to not go (laughs) to Europe so yeah it's definitely it definitely has been a beautiful year you know with with her and it was, it was a good, it was a good, it was good timing, even though it definitely felt like it wasn't good timing, but it also is definitely like, I'm stunted. Like I am going to have a really hard time, like navigating being away from her because I'm so like clingy, you know, like I'm like, I'm, I'm going to try not to be a helicopter parent, but I'm going to definitely, it's going to be uh, an interesting thing trying to navigate being on tour and being away from her and being cool with that. You know what I mean? So, but every parent I'm sure goes through that. So it's interesting. I don't have too many um, friends who are mothers who are musicians uh, who tour. I have a lot of friends who are fathers, but I don't have like um, like a, a big network of women that I can like be like, how do you do it? What do you do? <laughs> so I'm going to have to join some sort of Facebook mommy group, Mom, rock moms, <laughs> try to figure it out. But yeah, it's going to be interesting. It must be strange putting an album out and not touring on it or really performing on it at all yeah i have a couple shows booked um there's like some weekends and uh some more stuff that actually just got announced today which is going to be cool in july so it's going to be like a slow kind of like a slow trickle ouch like that actually that sounds nice that sounds like the healthy way to do it yeah just remaining on the east coast not going too far away and if when i am as far away as possible it's going to be in dc and that's where my sister lives so it's okay like i have a home base there and so like, it's cool. Yeah. So it's going to be, it's baby steps for sure. Back into, back into my life. We're going to see where it goes. You've used the term home bakes for like in a couple of different ways. That is true. Certainly some people are sort of more built for the road than others. It sounds like for the most part you enjoy it, but do you feel like you need to have that place to go back to? Yeah. I mean, not having a place on Long Island was a huge transition and like my husband's parents lived there and they sold during the 
during the boom. So they sold in the fall. So yeah, we don't have like a place to go and sleep when we play in the city, you know, like we usually just go and go to Long Island and like stay for like two days. And so like, that's not there. And that's really fucking weird. We're going to get a hotel when we play New York or we're just going to drive home. (laughs) You're in in Hudson Valley. Is that too far of a, a ride? It's like two hours, so it's fine, but like kind of sucks if it's like really late, but like we could do it. We could do it. It's just, it's weird. It's really weird. It feels like, like I thought that when all of my grandparents died, that was when I was going to truly feel like a grown up. But now I feel like now that my childhood home is gone, I'm like, oh, now I'm a fucking grown up. Like, Laura, you have a baby. I know. (laughs) I know. It just was a real estate thing, though, that really... Yeah, I don't know. Now I feel like a grown up because I can't sleep in Rockville Center when I play in Brooklyn. Like, who cares? <laughs> they maybe could be like 15. And as long as your parents still had a house in Long Island, you'd still feel like a kid. Of course. Yeah. I could just go out the night before Thanksgiving, get wasted at Stingers with my old high school buds. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's, that's, that is the thing that's strange. But like, when I'm like, when I'm in a, a chunk of my life where I'm like on the road a lot, like the year I got married, I was gone more than I was home. And I was away from my husband for like a lot of the year. And it was like, it was tough. But like, when I'm moving, I feel like I can, I, I, I'll never stop. And like, it feels good, you know, because I'm just like, there's momentum and it feels really good. But then when you get home, you're like, oh, shit, I need to like, you know, figure out my life. And I have to nurture my marriage and not just be like I'm this I'm in this place I'm not I'm, I'm in Australia and like sorry I didn't have service for a couple of days and it's like no you need to call home you need to like you know home is home is a place that you also need to nurture especially now you know that I have a family and a house a husband and a dog it's definitely something I need to be more mindful of where does writing come in in all of this doesn't writing is not in the picture right now like it it will be i think because hopefully if there's some sort of schedule like all my downtime has been spent napping because i'm not sleeping so it's like it's so fucked up i don't have that's also like i lost so much of my sense of self this year just because i don't have that time for that outlet and then when i do have the time i have nothing in my brain like i'm just i just can't think straight and so i think now that if we're on as of last tuesday maybe a (laughs) regular sleep schedule where i can you know schedule a podcast for 7 p.m because that was the baby's bedtime it felt like it was the baby's bedtime but it turns out it wasn't you you just missed it by like 15 minutes but you got close (laughs) we got really close also like she naps from 12 to 2 during the day allegedly and she didn't today but um so that could be a time where I have to go out to the garage and work on stuff. You know, like if I have if I have little windows of time in the day and I'm getting adequate sleep and I'm not feeling like I'm just getting my head above water, you know, then then I'll be able to actually create something and I'll remember who I fucking am because like right now I'm just just boobs and tired, tired boobs. <laughs> That's <laughs> what I am right now. <laughs> I want to write. I want to write. There's so much that I have to say, but also there's nothing that I have to say. So I'm just like, I don't know who I fucking am. So it'll be good. It'll be good to remember that part of me. In your normal cycle, would you have already started writing again at this point in the process? Oh, yeah. Because these songs I wrote, I wrote some of them in 2018. So like, and then I recorded them when I was pregnant, like right after the Big Freeze tour kind of like fully was over. So it was like, 
November of 2019. That's when I recorded them. And then I had the baby and then I was like, oh, in my mind, I was like, I'm going to just put this record out, you know, like whenever I want, you know, I have the, I have it on the shelf, like it's cool. But then, you know, everything kind of stopped. And then I was like, I don't want to put this record out and then just know that I'll never tour. So I wanted to wait a little bit until it seemed like things were getting a little bit better. So, yeah. And then I'm sure I would have written, God, I would have written so much, but yeah whatever they would have been all pandemic songs and it's like everybody's gonna write those so and nobody wants that uh, a year and a half from now yeah i don't want to hear that shit i don't want to watch movies about it like i was watching um 90 day fiance i was like what are they they have a new season it was quarantine edition i watched five minutes of it and i was like i don't want to see this fucking guy sitting at a kitchen table with his mom like that's what everybody's fucking doing everyone's wearing pajamas i don't want to see it it's, it's the world is better off without my pandemic songs it's fine mm-hmm. 